It's quite humbling to have people who don't have no experience of working in code at all going, hey, I just made something move on the screen. That was quite a fun thing to do. Welcome to The Wagon Live. This week we have Melanie McKay, consumer product lead for Rightmove, speaking to us. Melanie first broke into the product field in 2005 as a website manager for Hotels R Us. Over her 14-year career, she's enjoyed product management roles with companies like CMC Market and Transport for London, where she helped run a women's network course in basic programming and introduced new agile principles. Today, Melanie is the consumer product lead for Rightmove, the UK's number one property website. Keep listening how she oversees cross-platform strategies and cross-functional teams and lead the team to achieve their goals. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that TFO was quite big, which um, is evident, but how did you refine target audience when it was so broad? Yeah, another tough one. We, the, one of the days when we were looking at our content strategies, what we were going to do for the whole of the site and what we were going to try and achieve. Um, if you imagine you're, when you're working there, obviously you've got people who are trying to make journeys, but TFL's remit is not just about moving people around. So if you think about TFL's open data strategy to help like, you know, City Mapper runs off TFL's open data. That's why TFL doesn't have an app itself. So, trying to think about your users, you're not just thinking about people traveling. But what we did was literally sat in a room one day, open a load of post it notes. I like a post it note. And used several packets of post it notes, writing down every single user we could think of, of our data, of our site, of our applications, and just covered the walls in them. So, that was the starting point. And then trying to group them. So, okay, so yeah, you've got families, you've got commuters, but there's groups. So there are people that are traveling, there's say freight drivers who are their own group who we have to think about when we're thinking about this or um, people who want to hire a street to do filming. So yeah, it, it, TFLs was an interesting one because the, the groups are probably the uh, most broad of anywhere that I've ever worked. Because yeah, so you, you start by kind of who are they and then trying to understand their needs and maybe the, the size and the opportunity that comes with each of them. Yeah. Um... Your women's network course at TFL, could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so it started off, um, TFL is quite big on International Women's Day, so they do a whole week's worth of activities um, that different people can run. Um, and a few of us uh, who worked in the digital team, um, who were women who had various jobs, but all were quite keen to see what we could do to get people more interested in um, technology. So we took, um, we decided to basically run a, a day of code, but we're talking really basic bits of HTML, so just get people excited. And actually, people came from all over, 27,000 people work at TFL, yeah. so anyone could come to it. And lots of different women came in and said, I've, I've no idea what this is. So we gave them a page and just said, edit them, make some things bold, put a picture here. You know, it's really simple stuff. And then the feedback was really good. So we said, okay, what about if we ran like a really simple coding course? Like, how might we go about doing this? Bearing in mind, apart from teaching, I've got no, <laughs> had no experience in to be fair, that's quite a lot of experience with it, but we didn't have huge amounts of experience of setting something like this up. We basically said, anyone that's interested, come. So we had maybe 20, 25 people. Um, we met every couple of weeks, and we actually took um, a course that I'd done with my year eights um, when I was teaching using Game Maker. So you make a little game, and we, we basically took all the assets we'd used on when I was teaching, and people made little little games where some, they could control someone walking around the sc screen and collecting prizes. And it was actually really exciting. It was, it was really fun thing for me to do. I had, there was a woman who I worked with who worked in finance within the digital team. He was like, my kids are going to be so excited when I go home and show them what I've done. Like she was over the moon and it was such a, for me it was a really, make me sound like I'm, I, I can't, I don't know if I can swear on this, so it's going to make me sound a bit ridiculous. But, um, it's quite humbling to have people who don't have no experience of working in code at all going, hey, I just made something move on the screen. That was quite, that was quite a fun thing to do. 
Um, so we ran that for a while. A few people finished their games. A couple of people just went, I have absolutely no idea what's going on whatsoever. And I'll just come along and chat to you. But it was, it was a fun thing to do. Right. Um, so fast forward to Write Move. What are you working on? <laughs> so, um, so I work on the consumer product. So that means so consumers are basically all of us, people who are using the, the platform, so the website and the apps. Um, our customers are, say, estate agents and new homes developers. So I look after the teams that build uh, the website and the apps. So I have kind of five, now six actually, kind of permanent teams working on um, diff different parts of the platforms. And then we spin up different teams depending on what, what's going on. So my role is to kind of try and keep together one whole consumer strategy. So we're working on things like, I can say this because we just released 100% options about being able to do things like hide properties when you're looking through search results. Um, so we've got things to the level of that so what's a consumer feature we get lots of feedback from people saying i really wish i could just say i'm not interested in this property so we allow people to do that um, obviously we want people to send more leads so we want people to um, be contacting more estate agents estate agents don't necessarily just want leads they want other things so i'm trying to find a balance between what consumers want and customers want um, i'm trying to think of things i can say that don't mean i'm giving out giving away secrets of things we're about to release um, what things can i talk about uh, just improving things about the app. Yeah, like, there's loads of stuff that we're working on at the moment that I've just realised I definitely can't just announce in a room full of people on a podcast. That's fine, that's fine. Um, but yeah, it's basically understanding consumer needs alongside what customers want and that's what Rightmove wants and then trying to find the balance of what we'll build. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you've been at a fair few amount of companies. Um, yeah. How do they compare? <sighs> Quite a broad question. But yeah, okay. they're all... There are some real similarities obviously, and some real differences between them. TFL is a company, loads and loads of governance, loads of red tape, trying to get to just build anything, you have to get it approved by quite a lot of different people. That can mean writing a paper that goes to a board that might not get a chance to read your paper that time, so you'll wait another six weeks till they next meet to then be given approval to work on something. That drove me nuts. I found it really, really difficult. I did get told by a lot of friends it was gonna kill me to do it. They were <laughs> correct, it drove me nuts. Um, right move is more fluid, so it's more kind of, um, we're all working together the whole time. Um, everyone's on the same floor. Well, development and design are on the same floor. Um, kind of understanding what we're doing. Um, some have been much more data-driven. Some have been a bit more kind of, yeah, let's see what people want and build, build what you want to do. All of them, definitely, because we were talking about this before slightly, all of them, they've all, no one's been that kind of old school, um, waterfall style of go off and build something, come back six months later. I've never worked at a company like that, that's, that's like that. Even though it's referenced in books and blogs and all these things about never working waterfall, I never have in the last, however many years it's been, 14 years. But yeah, so there's, there's similarities around product working with development cross-functional teams. I know you're going to ask something about UX later on, but not all of them have had UX teams, which has been an interesting dynamic from a product perspective, because if you don't have a UX team, there's some stuff you'll do as a product manager that you don't do as a UX team, and that can be a really interesting line to try and try and figure out between the two of you, because you can walk in and be like, hey, I'm new at this company, and I work in product, and I do these things. There's a whole team of people sat there being like, no, no, that's what I do. Like, ah, e, uh, that's not how I do it, and you're trying to balance that stuff out. So that's been probably one of the biggest differences, where there's been UX or hasn't been UX. OK. Um, yeah, so more about like your role, so as a day-to-day -day, like for a consumer product manager could you run us through yeah so <laughs> my role is probably not the most typical product manager role anymore 
Um, so I'll give you a bit of a view of it, but what I might do is also give you a view of some of the product owners that I work with, because they might not be quite as ridiculous as what I'm doing at the moment. <laughs> um, my role at Right Move is, um, we are, don't have an engineering manager right now, so I actually split doing kind of a bit of both, which it makes my role slightly broader than necessarily it would always be. Um, and an interesting way that we work at uh, Right Move is that we, uh, we, we have some product people who also line manage developers. So currently I manage a group of product people, but I also line manage some developers and QAs and business analysts. <coughs> so my day, my day to day might be something from today. I had to catch up with somebody at four o'clock. It was a one-to-one -one on how they are as a QA, junior QA in one of the teams at the same time as dealing with kind of what's going on. Um, how's that specific product going? So the hide rollout that did go, I keep, I'm, keep questioning myself that it went out today, but it definitely went to 100% today. <laughs> it should definitely be there. If it's not, then it's broken. Um, so my day, I'll start by, I try to go to stand-ups of different teams because there are a few different teams. So I tend to just turn up and find out what's going on on a team specifically. If we've got something that we're rolling out at that time, I'll try and check in on what's happening with the rollout of that specific thing. If we've got new initiatives that we're starting, I might quite often just stick my nose in. So I'll turn up and be like, hey, I want to stick one of those in here, it seems like something consumers are going to be interested in, so how are you thinking about consumers? I work with the UX team to understand what the latest research is, what's coming in, or our marketing research team. Um, so my day-to-day -day role is probably a bit not the most normal one. Um, taking some of the product owners that I work with uh, in teams, their day-to-day -day will be working with a development team the whole time. Um, so we have cross-functional teams that have um, developers. So we, we have a mixture of either full stack back in the front end developers, depending on the team, um, a QA and a product owner. And their day to day will be stand up in the morning. Um, they'll have a refinement session once a week usually. So to go through the backlog in advance to make sure that we're prepared for whatever's coming up in the future. Um, a planning session. We have a retrospective at the end of every two weeks to see how the last two weeks have gone. Is there anything we could do to improve or change? Um, they'll be doing benchmarking. So looking at um, not just competitor sites, but um, something I'm a bit I guess I'm so obsessed with, but something I have a real bugbear about is if people only ever look at the competition, actually you should be looking at, so right move is a searching platform, so you should be looking at how people search, so not just other property websites, but say e-commerce sites. So they're doing benchmarking, they need to be doing a lot of data analysis to understand what's happening with their product, how it's being used, who's using it, and work with UX again to do research. If they're doing a product, a new product, they might be doing user testing, so they're kind of doing that on an endless cycle, while also understanding what the future looks like. It's quite a busy role. Sounds it. So I hear a lot of teams. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you must work across multiple. How is that like? Um, hard. Yeah, it's, it's challenging. Yeah. Um, so for my role, so the way I just described that one team, that, that, that being kind of a typical day for a product owner, because there's several of them, um, the challenge I have is to be able to try and understand what's happening with a team specifically, but also come out to look at the overall strategy from a consumer perspective. And something I think is really important is that the teams and the product owners within the teams have the autonomy to make decisions themselves. I don't want to be there saying, do this and do that. So my job is to kind of help try and guide those things, um, which is challenging because I obviously have opinions myself. Someone might not build something in the way that I necessarily want to do it or it doesn't look the way I might have wanted it to look. Um, so that's something I have to kind of keep myself in check with and do tell my team to tell me to back off if I'm being a bit too picky. Um, but yeah, to be honest, it's a challenge. Um, I literally, to, I 
printed out my calendar and tried to mark out what days I would be seeing which teams and when. And if we have, say, a big production issue, everything goes out the window and I jump on that. So, yeah, a challenge. That's, that's how <laughs> working across least. those teams is. <laughs> um, so how would you validate an idea? And whether that's good or not to implement, how would you judge it? Okay, so if I take Hyde as an example, because yeah. that one I know I can talk about, um, it can, ideas can come from different, different places. So we might look at the overall experience somebody's having, try and find where there are some pain points or some difficulties and look at how we can solve them um, on a really specific level. Or we might look at overall themes. So if we've done a piece of research, because we'll do like constant high-level pieces of research. So if you've done a piece of research that spots, say, a trend, and we might try and marry up a trend that we can see um, people who behave in a certain way then do a certain action. And then we also see a problem that could be solved where they, they match up. Yeah. So we can say, okay, lots of people looking at lots of properties. Um, they tend to spend more time on the website. That's, an, that's kind of an obvious assumption. If they're looking at lots of properties, it's probably spending more time on the site. So how can we get them to see more, more properties? Do we throw more at them? Can we, you know, what can we do with that? So maybe we can allow them to hide them and then they'll see more that are interesting to them. So we have the kind of hypothesis around what we, might, what we think might work. What we, what we tend to do is we come at it from a few different angles. We'll look at what the technical capabilities are. So is it possible for us to solve this problem relatively easily? Um, how might consumers like it? So Hyde's really easy. People ask us all the time for us to be able to do it. So it's kind of, we're pretty sure people like this because they keep asking for it. But if it's not something people ask for, we'll, we do user sessions. Um, we also might look at how people are behaving on the website to see are they behaving in a way that makes it seem like they would want to be able to do this. Um, and obviously the, the extra part for Rightmove is it's not just how one person interacts with our site, it's how our customers, our customers are in there as well. So if we say, okay, we just hide properties, our customers going to like that? How are they going to feel about it? So when we're validating an idea, we'll be looking at the technical capability, how our customers will feel about it, and how our consumers will feel about it. And I kept describing it the other day like making a snowball, where you're kind of like, okay, consumers kind of like it, customers kind of like it, it's kind of possible. Okay, let's go a bit further with it now. So you're constantly kind of refining it as you go. Um, we like to build proof of concepts and, and put them out on the site. Um, we might just release it to a small subset of people and see how they interact with it. We'll always define the success up front of something that we're doing. Doesn't mean that it's unsuccessful if it doesn't meet that, but we try and we'll we have a hypothesis. If people hide properties, they might do X. And then how are we going to measure that? So we define our success measures up front. And then we might release it to a small set of people. Are they doing what we expect them to do? If they're doing something different, does that change the direction we're going to go in? It's fine to change it. Um, do we learn anything from that? Um, and it's like a constant cycle of doing that. It's not kind of a, yeah, people like it, let's just build it. It's constantly refining it and improving it as we go. OK, so as important as a project, how do you really understand the users? <laughs> so. Right now, I guess we're really lucky. We have a lot of users. Um, millions of people are using our site all the time. It's brilliant. It's, it's one of the things that attracted me to Rightmove in the first place. It's such a, I was just like, wow, there's so much data. This is going to be super interesting to find out how people use the site. So we have masses of, of data. Obviously, we, we, um, we can look at what people are doing, not like in a creepy way, but we can look at what people are doing. We can understand how they're using the site. So we've got the kind of really simple, qualitative, Quantitative, quantitative data we can look at from a qualitative point of view. We have a UX team, so we have user researchers that will look at overall, they'll talk to users, maybe we'll do diary studies, um, we'll get users to come in and do focus groups. Um, we actually don't do this at, 
um, right move, but at TfL we used to do guerrilla testing, so we'd literally just walk out on the street and ask people. TfL's office is above a tube station, so it's really easy to literally just go downstairs and be like, so when you're using the website, what do you think of this? So yeah, it's really kind of talking to them, looking at how they're behaving and trying to group them. So if you've used RightMove's site, you'll know we've got properties that are for sale, we've got properties that are for rent. Um, we also have um, commercial properties for sale, commercial properties for rent. We have overseas properties, we have a student section. Um, we have um, all of the sold price data. Um, so you can see the, the price that a property was sold for. Um, we've got kind of the most extensive database of that. Um, of anybody. So we have those different types of users and they're quite clear user cases. So we kind of look at our data, mash them up. People who are, if you imagine if you're a buyer, you're quite often a seller as well. So we also have to understand that our users don't, they're not just, don't just fit neatly into a box, which is interesting, but a challenge that comes with it. So if you're looking for a property, you're most likely selling a property. If you're looking to buy a property, you're most likely selling a property, but are you in that frame of mind when you're looking to buy a property? Probably not. So do you want us to start ramming loads of stuff about selling properties down your throat? Probably not. So how do we kind of balance those things is, is a challenge. Sounds like a hard task. It's an interesting task. The data really helps yeah. um, because it means we have, it's not just, I think the thing that, the challenge when you don't have as much data and one of the things that I find, to be honest, everybody does this anyway, but if you have a set of people in a room going like, well, I it would be really easy for people to go, so I'm buying a house right now. For the first time I bought a house, I could really easily go, well, as a first time buyer, this is how I use your web the website and this is what you should do. But not many people spend as many hours on Rightmove as I do. Even though people spend a lot of time on Rightmove, they don't spend as much time as I do. So my behavior is no longer typical. And it would be really, really easy for people to go, oh, I'm a person that travels in London. I'm a person that rents a house. I know how people behave. So it's the, the, one of the biggest challenges is to not put yourself as one of your users just because you behave in a certain way is definitely not how users do it. Yeah. And when we have the user sessions, sessions they're so enlightening because people use the site so differently to how you think they're going to. And that's, if you, if you have a product where you can watch, like get somebody to use it in front of you, it's fascinating how differently they use it to how you think they're going to. Yeah, um, yeah loads of stuff. We've been user testing this week. It's been really interesting to see the outcome of some of it so far. Cool. Um, so you mentioned data a lot. Um, how much is really needed to track without it being creepy. <laughs> um, yeah, one of our strap lines is clever, but not creepy in one of our teams, actually. So I think it depends. I was worried I was going to keep saying it depends a lot with this, but I think it depends on the product um, a lot. I think that you need to define, you need to understand what you're trying. You need to, I would understand in words what you need to understand before you look at the numbers specifically, if that makes sense. So for me, I look at kind of acquisition in terms of how, how are we getting people to come so right move, look at retention and engagement, and then look at churn as to how quickly they're leaving. They're my high level numbers. I break those down. You could go on forever. You could get like, completely over the top about looking at too much data. Um, it's really trying to understand what do I need to know? Like why am I looking at the data in the first place? And then what data matches what I'm trying to look at? And limiting yourself so you don't end up in some weird position where you've got like 30 things you're tracking. Um, that's not an easy answer to give you. That's not, that's not even a useful answer to give you. Um, but yeah, I think it depends on the product as to how much you need to know. And then it's about really understanding what the core things are that you need to know and the key things to, to really understand how your product's being used. The rest can be interesting, but you could definitely go down weird rabbit holes where you start looking at all kinds of data that's just well interesting and not helpful for your product design. Yeah, I guess it's not a thing where it's one shoe fits all. So. No, exactly. Um, and how has that changed over time? Um, I, I mean, 
the job I described when I when I was my first job, I don't think I ever looked at any data. I think we just read. Well, I think people do this. They send emails about property well, we, about hotels. I think we just made it up to be honest. Um, <laughs> and I probably wouldn't have crossed my mind that I should have been thinking about it then, being that I didn't really understand what my job was in the first place. Um, but definitely more now. There's more data involved. People are people are expecting you to make data driven decisions. It can't. It's, it's great, actually. One of the things that's brilliant about it, that and the user testing, is instead of having a bunch of people having a load of ideas in a room and it's whoever shouts the loudest or the highest paid person's opinion, you can go, well, this is what the data says. Yeah. So it's definitely become more important. It's definitely helped people become more objective instead of just, I'm going to shout as much as possible until you build what I want. You can now go, well, the data says differently, yeah. which helps. So it's become a lot more important, I think. OK. Uh... What are the key things you should be looking for in a user's behavior before you start to build a product? Um, I would say it's about, you're going, to have, you're going to have two options, right? You're either going to be building products that solve people's problems or that go after an opportunity. So you solve problems they don't know they have yet, I guess. So you need to understand that. So what is their behavior outside of your products? So if you think about people who are looking for properties, if you only look at how they behave within your product itself or how you expect them to behave on a product website, then you're limiting your thought. You need to understand their whole experience about looking for a property. Or if someone's planning to go and visit their friend on the other side of London, just thinking about how they use Journey Planner, great, but that limits your thought. You need to think about how they do the whole thing, so how they're thinking about where they're going, how they plan a journey, not how they use, as in how they do it without using Journey Planner, the tool. So thinking about their whole experience, I think, to then understand where their likes and dislikes are. So I think that's your, uh, what, their, what their problems are. So start by understanding how they're using your, your product. And again, it would depend on what the problem is as to what data you'd be looking yeah. at. But I think that's the most important thing, to kind of look at it as a whole instead of just your idea. It's where your idea fits into the bigger picture. OK, so we went over teams. So you work with a lot of uh, different people in different roles. Um, so do you work with developers? Yep. And if so, a lot of them? <laughs> um, yep. I work with quite a lot of developers. Our teams aren't as big as you might think, given the size of Right Move. But yeah, um, I work with, like I said, kind of full stack developers, front end developers, back end developers, um, QAs. We have some data scientists. So we have kind of a different mix of, of people. And that depends on the team itself. So our apps team are more app development. Um, I can go as far as sitting in a team, sitting in a room with a bunch of developers saying, like, how are we going to solve this specific problem right now? Or I might be more like a stakeholder that goes in and looks at the review of how they've done something. Um, but yeah, so I've gone kind of, my role makes me slightly further removed from development than it used to. Um, but product owners where I work are, are in teams with development developers. I think it's, for me, cross-functional teams that genuinely sit together and work on things together are the most important thing because if you're sat off in your own little silos to me it doesn't work yeah definitely um so do you use any product management techniques like agile or scrum um yeah so we were, we were kind of talking about this beforehand um yes <laughs> so i wouldn't i don't know if i would call product ma agile product management so much as product development as a, as a whole um so yes we would Everywhere I work, I think, would call, have ever worked would probably call themselves agile. Whether or not I would agree that everybody actually is agile is probably another matter. But I don't know if I've ever seen many companies that are truly what you would call agile. Or they maybe start off when there's 
six of them as being able to be agile and the second you add on a few more people it starts to become a bit more difficult but actually I think if you look at the 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 kind of pillars of agile and I cannot remember what the four of them are but the one that's there's like people over process is the one that always sticks in my head but those kind of principles and working towards those principles um we do do so the difficulty and again most places I've worked have done this is gone ah we we'd like we don't care about documentation because that's something that's written in the agile manifesto so we no longer write anything down People can go a little bit too far and bring it back and be like, no, no, you can still document things, but it's not about big, massive requirements, documents that someone signed in blood at the beginning of a project. It's about documenting as you go. And so we work, um, our teams either work it as scrum teams or Kanban, but to be honest, it's probably a bit of a mixture of the two. And again, I think I've worked in places where people have tried very hard to stick to one kind of process, but in reality, the nature of the kind of thing that we look at makes it a bit more difficult to do that. Um, that was a really vague answer. So anybody who doesn't understand enough about, or lots about Agile and Scrum, that won't have helped at all. <laughs> anybody that does still yeah, wasn't a very helpful answer. Topic. So, um, yeah. um, so I wanted to ask, how do you find encouraging autonomy and input whilst maintaining leadership? I do think you went, you did touch upon it on the, at the beginning, but just in a bit more detail if possible. Yeah, so it's a challenge. I think it comes with a, so for me it's about, being able to set goals and um, objectives as opposed to telling people what they need to deliver specifically. So people, everyone's talking about OKRs at the moment, but just generally like having um, things that you're trying to achieve and then giving the teams the autonomy to actually try and like, figure out how to achieve it. And not to a point where I'll be just like, here's a problem and then walk off and three months later come back and be like, that's not how to solve it. But the, the challenge is to be able to, for me, is to be able to give a team a problem and help kind of steer it, steer the solution in the direction, not that I want it to go in, but it's going to help solve that problem. So some teams pick it up, get it straight away. It depends on how um, settled a team is as well, as to how much you do it. Um, but I think I'm, I'm very much against being in a situation where you just say to somebody, build this exact thing that I have decided you're going to build, because I don't think it inspires anybody. It would be, it would make me some kind of mini dictator, which I wouldn't like. Yeah. But also I think if you want teams that are excited about what they build, then they need to own what they build, which means they need to understand the problem, they need to understand the users, they need to understand how they're going to go about solving that. So I think um, really, because I don't think you can build good software unless you're in that position, yeah. it makes it a bit easier for me to take that step back. But I'm a little bit of a control freak, plus I like solving problems, so sometimes I want to be in the middle of the room being like, this is what I would do. So there's a personal challenge, but actually I think if you want to build good software, you have to allow people to do. Give them a bit of freedom. Yeah, a lot of freedom, ideally. Um, okay, so in regards to like communication, uh, how do you work with a product manager, the customer product manager? The customer product manager, yeah. So we have, um, so I'm the consumer product manager, but we have a customer product manager as well. Um, most, I mean, actually, we're not based in the same office. So we spend a lot of time on Slack talking to each other, but we have catch-ups on a regular basis. Anything that's, um, that we're building that's, well, everything we build is going to affect yeah, well, most stuff that we build on the consumer side will affect customers. Not everything we build for customers is going to necessarily affect consumers because we might build them reports that allows them to see what's happening with their, their properties and things like that. So if we're building anything, then it would be a case of making sure they're up to date on what we're doing. So we use Confluence. And doc, like we've, we've kind of got our strategy documents all on there so that we can share everything. So he can always see what's, what's happening. But really, it's about us kind of communicating as much as possible. UX, our UX team isn't... Um, like a consumer UX team and a customer UX team. So the, what we'll usually have is someone from the UX team, me and the customer product manager, 
um, we'll maybe work together on terms, terms of the overall kind of strategy. So we have a kind of strategic conversation as to what we're going to try and achieve and align on that. And then we work with different teams on what they're building. I don't think that's a very helpful answer either, actually, but there you go. <laughs> um, so I wanted to touch upon a bit of code. You mentioned that you have a computing background and when you did your um, women's network course at TFO, it was quite scary for beginners. Um, but how much code do you think is required to be a great product manager? Oh, I don't know if this is going to be an answer that everyone's <laughs> going to like. I actually don't think you need to be a developer. To, I don't think you need to be able to code to be a, to be a good product manager. I, I know lots of very successful and very good product managers who are not from a development background. Um, in some ways, it can almost limit you. Not limit you. You have to check yourself. So I've, I've seen um, developers become product owners, and then when their team's not doing what they want, try and do it themselves which is just about one of the worst things you can do. How to undermine a team full of people is to just be like, I'll just make it myself. Just nothing worse. And you have to be able to put that limit, you have to put that barrier in. Because if you're in a team and you're saying, how are we going to solve this problem? And a team full of people are saying, oh, we could do this and we could do that. And you go, well, I can code. So this is how I would do it. Again, you're totally undermining everybody. So I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to code at all. But if you can, you have to be able to kind of take a step back. Yeah. There are definite, it's definitely useful. Um, how do I put this in a positive way? I have maybe worked with developers in the past who may try to say stuff to me that I know not to be true um, because I understand what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. So there's also a helpful element where I can be like, is that really true? Is that really how it works? Explain it to me a bit more. So it helps. You don't necessarily have to be able to code it yourself, but to understand what they're doing is, is important. But actually, a, a, to my mind, a really good developer can explain what they're doing in a way that you can understand that they don't have to just be like, this is how it does it. They should be able to explain it in a good enough way, so you should be able to have that conversation. So I guess it's not, it's not vital. There are positives and negatives yeah. of it, I guess, and it's about kind of how you as a person manage yourself. Uh, could you tell us how you would build a product strategy and uh, what is the timeline? Oh, timeline? I'm going to say it varies on whatever the product is, which is an unhelpful answer. So I created a, a strategy document that we use um, at, at Rymove, and to be fair, it's not something that's come from nowhere. This is just there are lots of different versions of this. I just happened to tweak it in a way that made sense for me. So I think you start by what is the, the product? So what's the opportunity or the, I guess it depends if you're starting one from scratch or whether you're looking at an enhancement or a development on a product. But what is the problem or the opportunity? So understanding that space and what's the kind of direction that you're trying to take it in. Some of this is cyclic because you have to kind of start somewhere. So I'd start by what's the opportunity and what's kind of where are you trying to get to with it. Then I would go into understanding in a bit more detail your users. So who are they? How are they using it? Um, what do they like? What do they not like? What are their kind of challenges? Um, basically, as much as you can learn about them. Um, I would look at, do the competitor analysis benchmarking exercise, so to understand kind of what else is out there, um, whether it's not just digital products, but what else is out there to achieve what you're trying to get it to achieve. I'm trying to work through this strategy document in my head. Um, which might then go back to you then thinking about whether or not the problem and the opportunity is quite the same. So you're con kind of constantly making sure it's the right, the right kind of uh, problem to go after. Um, when you're looking at the users, ideally I'd look at an experience map, which is kind of what I was saying about looking outside of just what your product's going to do, but their overall experience. And then um, break that down into, therefore, what are you actually going to go after? So now you understand your... I've missed one thing, one really massive thing, sorry, what the business objectives are. So you've got kind of what's your, what are your consumers, how are they, sorry, users doing? You've got kind of um, their likes and dislikes, what, maybe what the challenges are. You, you ideally got some kind of business objective, unless your product is your business. I'm trying to figure out how to make this so that it, 
it covers all products, which is actually really difficult to do, I've now realised. Um, but yeah, so what's the opportunity space you can go into? How are your users using it? And then how do you break that down into something that you can actually deliver? And then from a deliverable, probably doing the same thing again. So what's the problem and opportunity? How are things being used? Um, and the timeline depends on the product. If you were to say, build Rightmove's website, from if you were to build a brand new property portal now and try and figure out the strategy, it would take a long time to figure out your strategy. When you think about something like Hide as a specific product within a, within a product group or a product suite, that kind of initial layout of the strategy should take you a couple of days, I would say. But that's because we have the data available to us. Yeah. Uh, is there any advice that has helped you? Um, you have come from uh, quite different uh, companies. Um, so I'm guessing you've learned a lot on the way. Um, could you share with us maybe something that could help us on our journeys? So I've spoken about it a few times, but I think knowing your users is really key and remembering that, and the bit about not remembering that you're not a user yourself, even if you do use your product. Um, I think that was probably one of the most useful things um, that anybody said to me because it, it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's a really good reminder that it's not just your ideas. I think for me, one of the most important things, kind of, I guess I touched on this before, but to build good software, I think it's in whatever form, I think that you need a balance of people so working, we work very much kind of product, UX and technology, if you think of or development as those kind of three parts. Um, I think you need those, you, you need that, you don't need that balance. It works very well if you have that balance. If you can have that balance, that's really important. I think when I'm, when also when I'm saying kind of technology and UX and product, if you take that back a step and you say, instead of just UX, you talk about like, who are your users? What are their needs? What are their likes? What are their dislikes? And instead of calling it technology or development, talk about what's possible. So what's possible to build, but what are your business constraints? Um, and then kind of your overall business needs. And then from a product perspective, what's the balance of all of those and what are the problems and opportunities? So I think, I think to be successful in building good software, you need to be able to balance all of these out. I think if you're somebody who just goes in with this is the best technolo technological solution to a problem, but you don't think about the users, you're probably going to miss a trick. If you just go all in, this is what users want, but you don't think about how it's going to be built or if it's going to meet any business goals, you're going to miss something there. So it's constantly balancing those things. And I think whether you work in product or development or UX or whatever place you go into, remembering that even if you specialise in one, that you need to still find a balance between the others, I think is probably the key thing to me. And that's something probably over the years in various forms that's been advice that's that's come to me um trying to think if there's anything else that's like super useful from an advice point of view i think it's really good to understand your product which might sound like an obvious thing but when i first moved, went to write move i assumed that we were there to just get people who want to find properties sending messages to estate agents and that's all we needed to do and the more i learn about it the more i was like well this is much more complicated than i thought um so actually spent taking the time to understand your product sounds obvious but do that are there any steps in understanding the product that you could possibly... I mean, in the first place, immerse yourself in it. So use it like a user. So Rightmove is an easy example. Look for properties. But also for me, and I don't do enough of this actually, but go and spend enough time with estate agents. So not just the website, but actually understand that world. Because I have no idea, other than renting a property or buying a property. It's not like I do that all the time, I wish. Um, I don't know it. So spending, so going and talking to them about how they work and what their day is and using their, like, using their expertise, but learning from them. I think, I suppose this is another thing from an advice point of view. 
I often hear people talk about the business when they work in product development, like, oh yeah, the business wants this, the business wants that. I feel like it's really um, demeaning to a group of experts in something. If you've got a salesperson, they might drive you nuts because they're selling loads of stuff and you think, oh God, we have to keep building it, but they know what they're doing and they're very, very good at it and I wouldn't want to be a salesperson. So I think having respect for the different people is important. So yeah, I think immersing yourself in the product, using it, understanding the market, that's probably the best way to start. Uh, you mentioned UX quite a few times, uh, I think, in a previous question. Um, could you tell us what it is and how you work with it? <laughs> I actually gave a talk a bit like this um, a while ago and then I had got terrified. I was so scared to show my UX team the talk that I'd done because they I thought they were going to kill me that I said the wrong thing, but actually they said it was right. But um, I think UX is a bit like product in that if you try and look up a definition of it, you will get a thousand different answers. Um, so UX, where I work, is um, really about understanding the users and their interactions and their behaviours and their emotions. So it's not just painting a picture or pixel pushing, drawing, drawing solutions. It's really understanding a whole user's behaviour and helping using that to help inform your overall strategy. I guess UX teams in some places will just be looking at the, the detail of the interaction. For us, it's much more about the overall strategy. And I think um, without them, I don't think we would build as good products as we do. Um, so it's about the user's experience. Um, I think by abbreviating it, sometimes it gets kind of mixed into just, oh, it's designing, but it is the kind of overall experience of whatever your product is. Thanks for listening to Lewagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. 